Abner Maris is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly dad to two little girls. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Mares, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and the people who made him the boxer and man he is. They chat about topics like the state of boxing, Abner's American dream, and being a husband and a girl dad. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Mares wherever you get your podcasts. Episodes in English out on Tuesday and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays. Ronald Jones scores two touchdowns. DeAndre Swift explodes. Has Philip Lindsay shaken things up in the Broncos' backfield? We're talking all that and more on Roto Viz Radio. What's up, Roto Viz? Welcome back to Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by Indeed, Pepsi, and Bet Online. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz, joined by the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Matt Friedman. The Kansas City and Buffalo game wrapped up just a couple of minutes ago. Dallas is playing Arizona right now. We won't be able to touch on those games too ma- uh, too much, but more importantly, Matt, how are you? Uh, I'm doing okay. You know, the, uh, I don't know. I think rebar, uh, called it existential dread. The existent, the existential dread of the season is starting to set in with me just a little bit, you know, like I'm starting to feel it just a little bit more. Uh, the weather starting to get colder, starting to snow outside in Minnesota. had to put on the winter tires today. It's, you know, like, you know, it's just, we're getting through it. I'm great. Dave, how are you? Oh, I'm, I'm doing all right. Can't complain. Um, before we get into it, I hope that everybody out there has had their decaf coffee because we've got a lot to cover. <laughs> Did you really drive by a bald eagle today? Yeah, yeah. On the way to get the uh, the winter tires changed, it was just like ripping into. Uh, it was like a, a dead possum on the side of the road, just like ripping into it, and like uh, you know, like bits of uh, like internal organs were just flying out as it was ripping into its <laughs> stomach. It was pretty amazing, actually. I'm sure it was. So. I'm going to ask just two follow-ups on this. The first being, how big did this bird seem? You know, like, and I'm not sure how far away it, from it, it you seemed were. It huge. Okay, yep. It seemed absolutely massive. That's awesome. And it was, you know, like, uh, because I, I could see it, like, as I was driving towards it, I could see it kind of like, like with its wings out, coming down onto the, the roadkill. Uh, and then, like, as I'm driving by, you know, it's maybe, like, six feet from the car, you know, actually maybe wow. even a little bit closer. And, uh, I mean, yeah, you can like see this thing in all its glory. All right. Um, final thing on that. And that is pretty sweet. Did you view this as a good or a bad omen? Uh, I, I, it just, it felt very America. Okay. <laughs> like like <laughs> this, this bald Eagle just like destroying this thing that's on the side of the road and already dead. Uh, I don't know. It just felt like this is this is very America in 2020. Nice. Uh, okay. So I'd actually forgotten to put this on the show sheet, but I'm pretty sure that you may have expected this was going to come up. Le'Veon Bell, not with Kansas City this week. However, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, 
I don't know the exact yardage. I think it was 161 yards he racked up against the Bills. Also added four receptions. Let's talk about what you think happens once Bell is in this offense. I think, okay, so Edwards Alaire has looked much better as a runner than I think anyone kind of anticipated he would. He amazingly hasn't done much as a receiver. Like on this uh, Monday night football game that just wrapped up, he had four targets, four receptions, but only eight yards. Like for the first three targets, he actually had uh, zero yards. You know, like he's just not really doing much as a receiver. Uh, I think that they have this plan to use Le'Veon Bell as sort of like the super version of Daryl Williams, where he will get some carries. Uh, he will, you know, be a receiving back, uh, and then he actually might get the goal line work. Which, if that's the case, um. I don't know. Like, there's a decent chance that for the rest of the season, Le'Veon Bell actually outscores Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Like, not to say that that like in PPR formats specifically. Yeah. That's not to say like that it for sure happens. But um, man, like if Edwards-Alaire isn't getting the targets, and if Bell is getting the goal line work, and then enough of the carries, like you could actually see how it happens. Yeah, you know, the odd thing about this move for me was I was thinking about are there ways that Kansas City might have both of them in the backfield at the same time? But then I was kind of like, you know what, they have such a strong and talented group of receivers and tight ends that it's kind of like, do they even really need to do that? But I think it's going to be really interesting to see what we get. Um, Heading into next week, or Bell's first game with Kansas City, if you have him, do you think that uh, he should be played by fantasy teams? I mean, it's it's a bye week, you know, four teams out. So maybe you're a little bit desperate, but I would hope you would have better options. But I mean, at the same time, if Le'Veon Bell is on your team, you, you might not have better <laughs> options. Yeah. So, you know, I, I mean, I just think it really depends. But I, I think he will probably be like a, a RB3 uh, just in terms of where he ends up ranking. But uh, yeah, I I don't know. I would have a hard time starting him. Got it. All right, we're going to hit upon some injuries. Some of these players, I'm not exactly sure at this point when we're recording it, what their outlook looks like. Uh, But if any of these you feel like there's important takeaways for the team, jump in. If not, we'll just press on until there's something that you feel we need to talk about. Devontae Parker with a groin injury. It's unclear if he could miss time. Raheem Mostert, unfortunately, headed to the IR. Tevin Coleman should be back soon. Obviously, they have Jarek McKinnon there, who looks to me like the player that you would be most expecting to take the majority of that workload. San Francisco's backfield can be tricky. Uh, Any thoughts there before we move on to Miles Sanders? Yeah, so Tevin Coleman is returning. One thing that's a little bit weird is that um, last week, Jarek McKinnon actually played behind uh, Jamichael Hastings. Right, the rookie, um, right? Or, or they at least split the the workload. And so I'm kind of of the opinion that almost regardless of like whoever is in there, it's going to be a pretty split committee. Like maybe Jarek McKinnon ends up having, you know, like, the like 50% workload or something like that. But I think there will be another guy who has like a 40% workload and then another guy who has the 10%. Um, but however it works out, whether it's Tevin Coleman, whether it's uh, Jeffrey Wilson coming back from injury or Jamichael Hasty, maybe he's jumped over Wilson at this point. I think it's still going to be a split backfield. I think it will be hard to trust anyone until we've actually seen that guy do it once. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's going to be points there that get scored, but good luck knowing how that distribution is right. going to come. 
So Miles Sanders looks like he's going to be out on Thursday and he could miss the week after uh, just another injury for this Eagles team. Now, Boston Scott hasn't really done that much, so I'm not sure how excited we should be if you're somebody that's going to have the opportunity to use Boston Scott. Yeah, I mean, I haven't done projections yet for this upcoming week, but I'm imagining uh, Austin Scott is the lead back. Like, I think he will end up having more action than Corey Clement. Uh, I don't know why I said it like that, Corey Clement. Uh, anyway, um, but yeah, as you say, it will be kind of hard to know how enthusiastic we should be about actually starting him. But I, I mean, I think if you have Boston Scott, like there's a decent chance that he's like a flex this week. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's probably possible, um, just especially with all of these injuries that we're seeing. Um, another running back injury, and this one may not have any impact. It's also in a backfield like San Francisco's that's tough to make sense of. But Mark Ingram has an ankle sprain. The Ravens have a bye in week seven that they're hoping he can return the week after, um, which would still leave this odd situation of what you do with Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins. My opinion is right now, I'm probably expecting Gus Edwards to be the player that scores more points than Dobbins, but you just don't really know. Uh, yeah, I I would imagine that's the case. Uh, and PPR, I think it will be pretty even because Dobbins will get the receptions uh, and that will probably counterbalance, I'd say, like the extra yardage that uh, Edwards gets as a rusher and then maybe like the touchdowns that he gets. But um, yeah, from a just kind of pure like workload perspective, uh, I think that we're going to have Edwards with more carries and uh, more goal line opportunities. Yep. Um, Zach Ertz out three to four weeks, more injuries piling up for the Philadelphia Eagles offense. My gosh. Um, as far as the receivers go, and I guess now we say tight ends, is there anybody that you think benefits more from this than, uh, you know, any other receiver or player in this offense? Uh, I mean, I think it just means that, uh, Travis Fulgham, if that's actually his real name, uh, it, I think it just means that he continues to get peppered with targets. Yeah. You know, he's had double digit targets the past two games. Um, if you even count what he did uh, in you know the game, the first game. So, uh, you know, we've had two games of him as like a real big part of that offense. And then one game before that, even in that game, he had, I think, like 50 yards and a touchdown or something like yeah, that. So if you just count the three games he's been with the Eagles, I mean, he's like been outstanding. I, I honestly don't know if it can continue. I'm kind of skeptical. Um, and he has a tough matchup on Thursday night football coming up uh, against James Bradbury. But uh, man, they have no one else to throw to. They really don't. Even if it's a situation where Deshaun Jackson comes back this week. And I think there's some hope that he will. And uh, Dallas Goddard is technically eligible to be activated off of IR this week, but that doesn't mean that he's actually ready. So even if those two guys return, I still think there are more than enough targets to go around for Fulgham to approach 10, uh, even if he doesn't get there. And I mean, if he's like really the number one wide receiver on his offense, I mean, he's getting to the point where you kind of have to like come up with reasons not to start him. Certainly. I mean, I, I, I agree with that. The final uh, player that I had listed down, Jonu Smith, questionable for week seven with a minor ankle sprain. We were actually going to talk quickly about uh, Tennessee 
in a minute, so we don't need to talk about that right now. Uh, the next thing I want to do, Matt, is just run through some notable uh, takeaways that I had from yesterday's game. Get your thoughts on them. Deshaun Watson, four touchdown passes, 335 yards, got a lot of receivers involved. I was feeling a little bit worried about Watson to start the season. We're now seeing some changes, and it feels to me like he's going to be able to kind of keep these types of performances in play as we move throughout the rest of the year. Yeah, it's a, a real money ball type of scenario where even though they lost DeAndre Hopkins, I think they've more than made up for it by uh, adding Randall Cobb, uh, adding Brandon Cooks, and then the big one is just having Will Fuller stay healthy. Uh, as long as Fuller is out there, I think Watson can continue to play at this level. And it's at the point where Watson is on a per attempt basis, actually more efficient this year than he was in the three previous seasons with DeAndre Hopkins out there. And, and that's not to like take anything away from Hopkins or anything. It's just to say that like the, the wide receivers that they have finally surrounded him with uh, like that group is collectively better than the group that he's previously had because Fuller was injured and they didn't have like a real solid presence in the slot. So yeah, Watson is getting it done and Fuller, I mean, with the exception of his uh, hamstring impacted week two where he had zero targets. I mean, otherwise he's had a hundred yards or touchdown uh, and sometimes both uh, in every game this year. So uh, even Fuller is getting to the point where he's uh, much more consistent than I think anyone would have anticipated. Yeah, and Deshaun Watson, um, third in pass yards, fourth in passing touchdowns right now, seven in QBR. And kind of to your point about the difference that we're seeing in the talent he has available this year, feels to me like each player is starting to definitely get their role. And we haven't even seen Kenny Stills really get that involved. And I've always been of the opinion that Kenny Stills isn't bad. So speaks to the uh, the talent that they have there now. Of course, in this game on Sunday, on the other side of the ball, Ryan Tannehill also threw four touchdowns. There's talk that he should be in the MVP conversation. Anthony Fersker, 118 receiving yards on eight wrecks, nine targets, and a touchdown. Jonu Smith was a little banged up. Any reason to believe that uh, we see more of this type of uh, deployment of these two tight ends? Yeah, I mean, Fersker... At like in the past is flashed. Like he's never been consistent, but he's been good enough when he's been given opportunities that you figured like, okay, he might have enough of a role, at least entering the season. He might have enough of the role to prevent a full on Johnny Smith breakout. And that hasn't been the case up to this point, but with uh, Smith dealing with this ankle injury, if he misses time, uh, I think folks are not to say like, oh, he's going to be, you know, like a uh, hundred yard guy uh, every every game. But like he's going to get, I think, a lot of the opportunities that Smith was getting. And I don't think he would do much worse with them than we saw out of Smith. So, uh, I mean, I don't know. Like I'm I'm sufficiently impressed with what we've seen. At the same time, I don't think it means that they're going to go to like a two tight end set whenever Smith comes back. I think Ferkser will still be the number two whenever Smith is out there. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a situation where they would have to force him in. However, though, uh, he ranks 12th among tight ends in air yards per target. Also has caught just about every ball that's been thrown his way. So when they've leaned on him, they have in that one target was beyond uh, 15 yards out. I don't know the exact difference, but so he's been pretty good. 
Yeah, he he has been very good. And this isn't just like a one-year thing with him. He was pretty impressive in limited action last year, too. Yep. Uh, the only other note I had on this game was, uh, so Davis was out, Humphreys filling in the, or having the clear wide receiver two roll, if you will, six rec, 64 yards and a touchdown. Just think it's worth bringing up because this offense has been functioning well. The team's undefeated at this point, setting up for a great game against uh, the Steelers. Uh, but let's talk about the team that the Steelers just trounced led to Baker Mayfield getting benched. I'm not sure that uh, that means that we're going to see more of Case Keenum moving forward, but from a fantasy perspective, the receivers and tight ends in this offense, perhaps even the running back, this does not make you feel very warm and fuzzy about these players, I do not believe. No, I mean, they are going to be pretty dependent on matchup. Um, The Browns have done a really good job against teams that aren't quite as good. Uh, especially whenever they've been able to rely on the running game uh, and then use that to set up their passing game. Uh, Mayfield, I mean, as good as he looked in limited action as a rookie, like in the in the final eight games of his rookie year, he's just totally devolved as a a quarterback. And like, I don't I don't know if he's necessarily worse this year than he was last year, but I mean, he even with Stefanski as his his play caller and now as someone to to guide him and help develop him. He doesn't look much better than he did last year. Just the offense looks better, like the play calling looks better, but Mayfield himself doesn't actually look much better. Uh, I don't really know what that means for the offense. Uh, I think it just kind of means overall that it has a pretty limited ceiling and the only times in which you'll probably want to rely on it will be when they have like a clear edge in their favor uh, going against uh, an inferior defense. Right. And it does look like the schedule might kind of ease up between now and the end of the season, but certainly not encouraging AJ green, who we've talked about really struggled. It didn't look like um, he'd be able to get this quote unquote regression. He was due for, but did get eight receptions for 96 yards in an odd game where the Bengals got out ahead of the Colts early, kind of unexpected. Does this change the thoughts on you or the thoughts that you would have on green or or are you still pretty low on him? Personally, for me, this hasn't changed my perception very much. Yeah, it doesn't really change anything. I mean, T Higgins still outplayed him. Like Higgins is, I mean, I don't, I don't know if we can say he's like now the number one receiver in that offense, but I mean, he's right up there with, uh, with Boyd and green. Like yep. I think Higgins actually probably is the number one moving forward. Yeah. And we're going to have to talk at some point, maybe next week about how good this, uh, rookie receiving class is. Cause there's a number of guys that are really yeah. looked impressive. Uh, Deandre Swift. Did he arrive, Matt? 116 on 14 rushing attempts with two touchdowns. Also added three receptions, pretty impressive performance from Swift. Uh, yeah, he he definitely looked good. Uh, I would just say a few things. One, I don't really trust that Detroit coaching staff when it comes to anything. Um, so that's just kind of one. Two, that coaching staff in particular seems to like Adrian Peterson much more than it should. Uh, and so I think Peterson will probably still continue to have like at least 10 touches per game which will just automatically limit what we could see out of DeAndre Swift. And then three, and this is the big point. Um, 
everyone goes off against the Jaguars. <laughs> so like it, it really like number two running backs go off against the Jags. Like Naheem Hines over the the past year has gone off on the Jags like multiple times. Um, so it's not it's not as if like it doesn't mean anything that he went off against the Jags. It was it was great to see him do what he did. Um, but I don't know if we can really read too much into it just because the Jags, like ever since the second half of last year. So at this point, like getting pretty darn close to a full calendar year, the Jags have just been a team that like every rushing attack just totally abuses. Yeah. And Peterson did manage to put up 58 yards total offense on them and also scored a touchdown. So um, though Swift did look more impressive, I think you might have a point about a reluctancy from the coaching staff to entirely shift things over to him. Keelan Cole, 143 yards for the Jaguars, led uh, the receivers there. I still think that this offense remains a confusing one to know what you can expect as far as the receivers go. And I guess I hadn't really thought about this earlier, but as far as the prospects for DJ Chark go uh, for the rest of the year, do you think that... um, Perhaps the expectations that people might have had for him heading into the season as a strong wide receiver too at this point need to be adjusted. Yeah, um, he's not the clear number one receiver on his team when he's out there. I mean, he's he is the number one, but it's not as if he's a dominant number one. He's barely outplaying Keelan Cole, Visca Chenault uh, in terms of market share and then also production. Uh, And it's not as if it's a strong offense to begin with. So I think a lot of the thesis with Shark was that even if offense wasn't that good, he would dominate in targets similar to something that like similar to what we're seeing in Washington, I'd say with um, Terry Terry McLaurin. Yeah, where it's a situation like the offense is bad, but you have this guy who's really athletic. He's getting targets. And so the rest of it kind of doesn't matter, but that's not at all what we're seeing out of shark. Uh, He's not getting the targets and he hasn't looked as dynamic this year. Some of that is probably because of injuries. And so he's just not able to, to function with his peak athleticism, but uh, no, it's certainly a letdown. And uh, I think he's a wide receiver three at best uh, moving forward, unless we really start to see him play with more explosiveness. Yeah, the only positive takeaway, I guess, uh, you know, there might be more, but it's worth noting. He did get 193 air yards, of course, in that game with Detroit. um, Although, to be fair, I guess, you know, the Jags are probably going to have to pass a lot. So maybe that's something we can hang our hats on. Um, It's true. Final note here, the Zach Ertz descent continues, did get hurt in that game. But before he was out, just four receptions for 33 yards. It's it's ugly. He's, He's droppable. I mean, he was droppable before this. We just didn't like want to admit it uh, when we were looking in the mirror and trimming our beards. But he's <laughs> he's droppable at this point. Like he he absolutely should not be rostered. Yeah, man, it's it's sad to say, but in a season like this, there's teams that are going to have to let go of dead weight, and Zach Ertz is looking like dead weight, which is unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, is especially now that he's out for it seems like at least three weeks, maybe a little bit longer. And if you just look back at what Ertz 
did in previous seasons. He was a volume tight end. He was, it's not as if he was bad, um, but the biggest thing he had going for him was that he was just getting a ton of targets. And it was correlated with the fact that all of the wide receivers in Philadelphia were injured. Uh, And so you figured that uh, entering the season, okay, maybe he's not going to get the target volume he had previously. But then when all of these guys get injured, you think, okay, like, this is, this is the perfect scenario for Ertz. It's what we've seen the past two years. It's going to happen again, and he's going to crush. And it's been like uh, doubly disappointing. Not only has the volume not been there, but whenever he's been targeted, he hasn't been efficient at all at turning his targets into production, whether it's yards or touchdowns. And, and then now he's injured. Like, he's, he's dead. You know, like... I don't, I don't even know what he's worth in dynasty leagues. Like if you have him, you just have to keep him because no one is going to trade anything of value for him. But like, what's the, what's the point of keeping him? Because he's probably not going to bounce back. Yeah. You know, the strange thing is his expected points are still up at fourth overall or his EP per game among tight ends, but he's only producing 1.1 PPR per opportunity. He's normally somewhere around like, 1.8 1.7 and then averaging just four receiving yards per target there's been times he's catching these passes and he's literally like getting one yard so there's just no sense at this point to force yourself to hold on to Ertz you've got to realize that though his name is Zach Ertz this is not the same player sad as it might be uh let's take a quick pause though to hear from our sponsors even though sports had a break your business didn't. You have to keep moving. And that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there's no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. And right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch. And I'm excited to see Cam Newton bring the Patriots back from a crushing blow brought at the hands of the Denver Broncos this weekend in the coming weeks. And I will be doing that with Pepsi, a refreshment you need to power through any game day. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, 
made for football watching. Hello folks, Colin Kelly here from Rotoviz Overtime, a podcast I host along with Sean Siegel. And in just a little moment, we'll jump straight into the podcast. Before we do so, I want to let you know as a loyal podcast listener, you can save yourself 10% of a Rotoviz NFL pass right now on the rotoviz.com website. It gives you access to all of our content and tools. All you have to do is add the code 2020RVRADIO at checkout or by going to rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. And of course, while you're listening to the podcast on the network, helps us out a lot if you can rate and review on your favorite podcast app. I really do appreciate that. As I mentioned at the start, Road of His Overtime with Sean Siegel twice a week. If you haven't already checked it out, be sure to do so after this show. But let's get straight into it. Enjoy the podcast. So we popped into that quick break there on a kind of negative note. We might be continuing on that. We had talked about this a little bit earlier in the year. We talked about it off air last week, Matt. Jonathan Taylor did put together a 21-yard run, had another kind of like, I think it was probably around like 12-yard run to the outside, but just not looking like this explosive specimen that many thought that he could be. Is Jonathan Taylor just average? If you are there, I cannot hear you. I was muted, although I was I was giving a fantastic answer, oh, gosh. Uh, which I will be unable to retrieve. Uh, no, Jonathan Taylor is probably not average. He's probably better than that. We've seen running backs, uh, you know, whether it's Le'Veon Bell or you know Melvin Gordon. Like uh, we've seen some guys struggle a little bit in their first year, uh, and then improve in their second year. And that honestly just might be the case with Jonathan Taylor. Uh, based on what he did in college, his draft position, uh, his athletic profile and even a little bit of what he's done to this point, like it, it hasn't been bad, uh, you know, like it has been average, but um, he's just a rookie. So I would still assume that uh, the future is better than what we've seen. Yeah. Well, you know, the weird thing, um, I guess I wouldn't say weird thing, but the, he's been fine, right? He's been fine. I guess it's just it, that there hasn't been these moments that you can point to like, Oh yeah, this guy definitely has it. Um, of course, you know, that game yesterday, didn't really have an opportunity. The team got behind, did not get many rushes. So maybe we see it come. Um, Just to put this in perspective, like people are acting as if they're disappointed with a like 13, 1400 yard season from a rookie. Like that's, that's not bad at all. That's actually very good. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. Um, So the final thing I'll ask about Jonathan Taylor is if, you are given the opportunity to redraft the running backs from this rookie class, if you will. Um, and, you know, maybe we assume that you already had Clyde Edwards Alaire in front of him. Does yeah. Taylor move back, though, behind any of the guys like Swift or Akers or anybody else? No, I think he's. I mean, I uh, sadly had acres ahead of him, which uh, at this point seems like a horrible uh, judgment call that I made. Um, Taylor, so for me, he moves up to number two. Most people already had him number two. Uh, I think that's where he stays. I don't think Dobbins has done enough. You know, Swift looked good last week, but I don't think he's done enough. Uh, I think Taylor is still clearly the number two back in the class. Okay. Unless someone wanted to make a case for James, <laughs> James Robinson. James Robinson. Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, you know, it does raise the question of if Jonathan Taylor 
was on the Jaguars, what would his stat line look like? But I don't even want to get into that game. Let's move on to another. Yep, go ahead. Or if James Robinson was on the the Colts, Colts. what would his stat line look like? Uh, Yeah, I feel like it might be better than what we've seen out of Jonathan Taylor. Oh, God. All right, so let's move on to something else that's going to make me depressed. Is Juju Smith-Schuster even worth uh, playing at this point? I don't even want to bring up the word drop, but if he's on your roster, should he even be played? No. Oh, oh he, he can't be. Um, Rich Rebar had a really good tweet, which uh, I'm not going to be able to remember uh, exactly, but basically he outlines how far uh, Juju has declined. Uh, and so yardage totals of 69, 48, 43, yeah, 43, 28, and 6 uh, in his five games. Um, he's running routes. Like the problem isn't playing time. He's actually running routes. He's just not being targeted. And then when he is being targeted, he's not being targeted downfield. Like this is just like the worst possible situation for Juju. Uh, I mean, no, you cannot play him at all. I mean, Deontay Johnson didn't even play yesterday. And James Washington goes off. It was him and Claypool. You know, Juju couldn't even get into the mix absent of Deontay Johnson when Deontay Johnson is is healthy and they have all four of those guys out there it is just there's no way that you can rely on getting that production production from Juju I actually am going to have to start sitting him as much as that pains me the nightmare scenario is but I mean it doesn't even matter because Juju should be on the bench for like long-term holders like dynasty investors the nightmare scenario that when Deontay Johnson comes back, they play him in the slot. Juju becomes the number four receiver, which like you could actually see how that happens. Like Johnson, I I feel like he's probably better. Like he would be better in the slot than he is on the perimeter, just like with his skill set. And then like Washington and Claypool on the outside. I could see how that happens. Oh boy. Um, I, I can't even stomach talking about this anymore. So let's just move on. Philip Lindsay, 101 yards, 4.4 yards per uh, carry on 23 attempts in a game in which Melvin Gordon did not participate. Uh, can we make anything of this as it relates to the Denver backfield? Is there going to be this 50-50 timeshare or could Lindsay even outplay Gordon when he is in the line in the lineup, obviously, I guess you would say it's possible, but is it likely? No, um, but I think it does show that um, you know Lindsay belongs in that tier of elite handcuffs. Well, entering the season, people were talking about uh, Alexander Madison and Latavius Murray, Ace Edmonds, uh, and and Tony Pollard as like the elite handcuffs uh, or or the elite sort of like zero RB candidates like guys who could end up winning a league if the guy ahead of them got injured. And I think Lindsay deserves to be in that group based on what he did last week, based on what he did in the previous two seasons where he had over a thousand yards each year. Uh, And I would also say that uh, I I think your question of uh, could he outperform Melvin Gordon like that, that could happen. I don't think he's going to consistently challenge Gordon in terms of like who provides more fantasy production because I think Gordon probably still has more carries per game. He 
he probably still has more targets and he probably gets the goal line opportunities. So like from that perspective, like Gordon is the clear guy that you want to roster, but Lindsay could be the more explosive player. And if that's the case, a point might come where they just start to minimize what it is that Gordon does in that offense. Fair enough. Uh, the final player I want to hit upon in uh, this section here, I want to get some of your thoughts on the long-term outlook of Mike Gesicki and where we are in his career, right? So we are now halfway, or not halfway, but we're six games, almost halfway through his third season. It's been an interesting year for him. Against Buffalo in week two, went for 130 in a touchdown, went for 91 against San Francisco. These other games he's had, Week one, 30 yards. Week three, 15 receiving yards. Week four, 15 receiving yards against the Jets. Zero receiving yards, zero wrecks on two targets. What do you think about a tight end like Kosicki at this point in his career? Obviously, it's still pretty early on. I don't think people can be writing him off just yet. But um, do you have optimism? Are you pretty pessimistic? Where do you land? If you look at his past... 16 games uh so like if you go into the um like the stat explorer app at rotoviz look at his past 16 games yep see that he has i believe like seven uh tied in one performances in the past 16 games like that's a pretty good number for a guy who is playing in an offense that isn't it's not bad like with fitzpatrick it's actually been decent for the past calendar year but it's not a great offense so like in that perspective, like he's certainly, he has certainly flashed potential. Um, it's just that he is so inconsistent. Uh, like if he's not going off, he's like absolutely destroying your team. If he's in your lineup, I guess, except the tight end play is so bad in the league right now this year, just, I feel like as it, as it is every year that maybe he's not destroying your team because you're going against someone else who has a tight end who's just as inconsistent. But, um, it is disturbing that uh, in an offense that doesn't really have uh, a locked-in number one wide receiver, like Devontae Parker, he's talented, of course, but he's been battling injuries this season. Even when he's been healthy, he hasn't been getting a ton of targets. Preston Williams has, uh, I don't know, maybe like Williams is still recovering from his season ending injury last year. So like he hasn't really emerged as a strong number two option in this offense. Like the job is there. Like Gesicki, if things broke right, you could see him getting like Travis, uh, like Travis Kelsey or George Kittle type of usage within this offense as like the number one receiver in the offense, just not like a good tight end, but the actual guy that targets are funneled to within this offense, but he just hasn't been able to establish himself in that role. And I mean, as frustrating as this was to see against the jets last week, like there were other tight ends, like two other tight ends in that offense who outperformed him. Like I wouldn't say they played ahead of him, but they got the opportunities. He didn't. Uh, it's just, it's immensely frustrating, but you just have to remember Kasiki's talented. He has flashed in the past calendar year, like we know the upside that he has and he's still, you know, I say only in his third year. Sometimes it takes these tight ends a little bit of time to become consistent. Uh, I think you just, you have to continue to hold. 
Okay. Um, do you rule out though the possibility of ever seeing him become an elite tight end, if you will? No, I think it could happen. It could happen. Yep. I don't. Th- I don't think it's likely, but it could happen. Yep. I mean, that's perfectly fair. You know, the crazy thing too, that sometimes we see tight ends get into the mix so late in their career. And some of it is just getting in the right situation, like Jared Cook, for example. Um, You know, maybe that's not the perfect comp, but it does show that sometimes there's a very long timeline before these guys become, uh, you know, reliable from week to week or post those tight end one finishes. Uh, I also think of a player, no comp at all to... um. To Gesicki, but Gary Barnage had that out of nowhere season, you know, yeah. like I don't even know how long it was into his career, but uh, all right, he was like 30 at that point, yeah, yeah, so it happens. And, and I, and you know, Gesicki, I think, is cut from a very different cloth than a Gary Barnage. Um, are you panicking? We're gonna hit on three wide receivers right here. Uh, Julian Edelman, Matt, has done very little since the first two weeks of the season. The Patriots offense did not look great yesterday. The team itself didn't look great. Of course, you know, there's, there's contributing factors to that. Uh, But, you know, Edelman's a guy that somehow has managed to be a good fantasy player now for what feels like a very long time. Uh, Zero receiving touchdowns at this point. Um, 302 yards, 20 wrecks on 36 targets. Seems to me very unlikely that you get out of Julian Edelman what you might have been hoping entering the season. So my question would be, do Julian Edelman owners panic at this point? Yes. Um, I think you can't drop him because he's still the clear number one receiver within his offense. And, uh, you know, it's not hard to imagine a way in which that offense improves over the next couple of weeks. So you can't drop him, but you absolutely cannot start him. Yeah, you know, the the odd thing going on here, too, is it's like you're in this situation because behind him, you have in Keel Harry, who seems to just disappear at points, right? You have Demir Bird. The tight ends aren't really of any consequence. Yes, you have James White getting some targets, but there there could be this massive target load that you're not going to get anywhere. Um but it just doesn't feel like the odds of things really coming together are that great, but you just have to hold for the time being. Um, what about Cooper Cup? right? He's had his spots, ugly game yesterday, and I kind of bring this up because I had made it clear how high I really was on Cooper Cup heading into the season. Um, yes, he has had a 25-point performance, but we've also seen 8 in Week 1, 11 in Week 5, 3.6 against the 49ers last night what do you think he entered week six he's seen for 1200 yards on the season you know he was generally having an acceptable year even if he wasn't scoring the touchdowns that people wanted um but you know touchdowns come and go whatever that's kind of fluky but generally like from a yardage perspective he was doing something pretty close this year what he did last year. And then he had a team high nine targets in week six and just did absolutely nothing with him. Uh, dropped a touchdown, uh, had another, you know, potential long reception that uh, he, he dropped or like just kind of couldn't get to it. Like there was miscommunication uh, anyway, like it's just, there were opportunities there. So I'm not as dissuaded 
from the idea of starting him as, you know, you would maybe think based on the fact that he had only 11 yards <laughs> last week on nine targets. The I think the important thing is that he had the nine targets and eight targets the week before that, seven the week before that, 10 the week before that. Like he's he's being used. Like from a, uh, a market share perspective, he is still the number one receiver within his offense. Um, you know, 25% market share on the season. That's pretty good. Like that's still someone that you want. Okay. That makes sense. And then, uh, you know, we talked about the Browns a little bit earlier. OBJ had one performance in the season that might've reinvigorated hope for people. Um, and I'm kind of want your perspective on thoughts on him, not only just for this season, but if you're somebody that owns him in dynasty, are you panicking? Mm, yeah, I mean, not panicking, just annoyed, you know, because <laughs> he's, he's not going to be the guy that he was his first three seasons or even like, I'd say years four and five. And he was still like good, but not as good as he had been early in his career. And part of that is maybe just declining athleticism. Uh, and part of that is maybe the scheme of the offense. Um, and then the talent of the quarterback throwing to him. Um, you know, he's very much kind of in a, a Cooper cup situation where he's leading the team, uh, in opportunities or in targets, uh, a 25% target share for the season, uh, a similar number of targets, not quite as many. Uh, Cup has seven and a half per game. Uh, OBJ has 7.2 per game. Um, but he's just not producing uh, at, at quite the same level. You know, like they are manufacturing opportunities for him you know, as a runner, as someone who's throwing the ball. It's just, it's, it's not a good situation. Uh, and, you know, with Cup, it's a little bit different because um, he's never been highly athletic. He's always been sort of like that shifty type of slot receiver uh, who's, you know, a good route runner and has a a strong connection with his quarterback. OBJ has always won through athleticism. Uh, and if he doesn't have that anymore, then he doesn't really have anything that makes you think he can really produce except for volume. But like that will, that will tail talent. And if his talent declines, his volume also will. Yep. And a major point for concern in his last 16 games, he has been a wide receiver three or worse, 75% of them. Um, not what you like to see. So let's move over to some players that have maybe more optimism surrounding them. Let's start with Ronald Jones, another 100-yard performance added two touchdowns. I believe that is three games now with 100 yards. Are you starting to feel more optimistic about Ronald Jones? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I remember you talking in week one <laughs> how you were optimistic about his performance. I was yep. like, I thought it sucked. Yep. Uh, I, and I'll stand by that. I think it did suck. Uh, did, did suck. It did suck. It did suck. <laughs> uh, it, it sucked so much that uh, I had to use improper grammar. Uh no, what he's done in the past three weeks has has been, I wouldn't say breathtaking because he's still horribly inefficient as a receiver. Um, and, you know, we saw nine targets a few weeks ago. 
turn that into 17 yards. And so not surprisingly, his target total has declined since then. And I, I really think they don't want to rely on him in the passing game. That's like the worst, the worst possible thing that they can do is use him as a receiver. But as a runner, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, he's been not only productive, like uh, just in terms of like, oh, he's turned high volume into good yardage, but he's been efficient with his opportunities. Uh, and I don't know if we would see Leonard Fournette be any better with the opportunities that we've seen Rojo get. Uh, and so I'm, you know, I guess optimistic that at this point uh, we do see Ronald Jones maintain his hold on the backfield. Like he will certainly lose opportunities uh, to Leonard Fournette, but I think he will play ahead of Fournette which I wasn't so sure that that would actually be the case when Fournette signed with the team. And then I think Fournette played ahead of him actually in week two. Yep. Uh, I think when Fournette comes back, whenever that is, Jones will be the guy. Wow. Well, somewhere out there, Pat Corain's uh, sweatpants are off. Um, <laughs> Hayden Hurst, 4-57 with a touchdown. Um, the Falcons passing game has been putting up a lot of fantasy points as of late. Um, you know, still getting into that offense on the season. If you look at the game log, um, nothing major that stands out other than this almost 16 point performance and 18.2 point performance in week two. Um, you know, I'd like to get some glimmers of optimism, but it feels to me like he's end up he's going to end up just being another tight end where you can get the good week here and there, but doesn't really separate himself from the pack like Austin Hooper did in this offense last year. I think that's probably fair. Uh, I mean, given how poor tight end play is right now, I think he will probably finish as a low end tight end one, which maybe isn't really saying all that much, but he's getting 14% of the targets in an offense that plays pretty fast uh, and throws pretty aggressively. Um, you know, that's good enough. I mean, he's someone who should be started, I think, almost every week. Um, that's not to say he's going to be a difference maker, but uh, you know that he at least has a relatively high floor. Um, I believe that he's had at least six fantasy points uh, in every game this year, except for week five. But um, yeah, and that might not sound like that great, but for like the tight end position, that's actually pretty decent. Okay, I, I will. I will take that. Um, let's talk now about Justin Jefferson against Atlanta. Eleven targets. Adam Thielen only had five, and Jefferson converted that into one hundred sixty-six yards and two touchdowns. Is optimism just through the roof now for Justin Jefferson? Um, yeah, but I think it should be. And he's he's outperforming Thielen on significantly less volume. Uh, and it's not as if it's totally random. It coincides with the move to the perimeter. Um, you know, and he's getting, I believe, more uh don't I'm gonna take that back. He's not getting actually more air yards, um, but he's I mean, obviously doing more with his opportunities uh, in terms of yards after the catch. Uh, and so he has the superior racer to Adam Thielen. Like, I, uh, I don't know. I mean, if, if you had a draft right now of the 2020 rookies, 
Jefferson is probably not the wide receiver one, but I mean, is he like, would you, would you consider taking him above CD lamb? Cause I mean, I, I would definitely think about it. Um, I think if I were playing, I don't know, maybe for a one year window, I just think that CD lamb is so good. Um, and I was expecting that heading in like Jefferson for me was, I want to say my wide receiver three, but I had lamb definitively at wide receiver one ahead of Jerry Judy. So from what I've seen from him, I'm now putting him into the stratosphere of, I think what could be an extremely elite player. Justin Jefferson has been strong, but I'm not quite willing to take that leap yet. But I think that there's a conversation that you could at least mentally have, even if you're going to dismiss it very quickly. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. Like I, he's been the more productive receiver is obviously the lesser quarterback. He's just as young. He's bigger. He's faster. He, I think was pretty much just as productive in college, not like as young as lamb was when lamb broke out, but Jefferson has a lot going for him. And like, I'm with you. Jefferson was my number three wide receiver. You know, after he was drafted. Yep. Uh, so in, in rookie drafts, I had him number three, but I mean, I, I think you move him up like a 21 year old who's doing what he's, what he's doing and has everything else going along with him. Like a first rounder, has good enough size and good enough athleticism who was productive in college. Like, I don't know. Like I, I would be very tempted to put him ahead of lamb. Wow. Um, so then you clearly, you have him ahead of Jerry Judy at this point. Um, is that also a reflection of what we've seen from Jerry Judy at this point? I mean, that's, that's part of it. Um, some of it is the offense. Um, but I think it's a little bit weird that, Judy is being used as someone who absolutely must play in the slot. And I think that's a little bit weird. Like Liam is playing in the slot, but you, you have at least the idea that if Amari Cooper weren't there, the Cowboys would be totally fine with moving him to to the perimeter. But Jerry Judy, it's like, they're scared not to play him in the slot. You know, like he has the opportunity to be playing on the perimeter. Cortland Sutton is out for the year. KJ Hamler is sidelined. Uh, Judy could be on the perimeter, but they're choosing to play him in the slot and to play like the clearly slot bound Deshaun Hamilton on the perimeter. Like that is a little bit of a red flag. And then even aside from that, the fact that Noah Fant was out, Cortland Sutton, KJ Hamler, they were out. Melvin Gordon was out and Jerry Judy isn't able to dominate targets in that offense. Like he's playing as the number two receiver behind Tim Patrick. And it's not like a one week thing. This is like a multiple week thing now. That's that's a problem. Like Judy is not as good as we thought he was, or at least as good as I thought he was. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't think that just because you, you know, just because you had him over CeeDee Lamb, you were the only person expecting that Jerry Judy was going to be good. Um, I don't think it's still like dumbfounding to consider that a team is trying to use Tim Patrick more than this player that they went out and used this early draft capital on that has the profile that he did and the call, you know, it just doesn't make sense. The other thing is it would seem to me like schematically 
it would benefit you to try to move some things around in the lack of these other players. But um, for whatever reason, teams just don't always seem to do that. Uh, and maybe Judy at this point is a prisoner of circumstance. But yeah, I mean, I think I definitely have Jefferson ahead of him. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about these wide receivers uh, next week. But oh, here, one more, yep. one more question yep. here. Judy versus Ruggs, who do you have higher right now? Mm. Uh, unfortunately, and I say unfortunately just because I do think that it's likely Jerry Judy is the better wide receiver um, in isolation, but I think that with Ruggs in um, that Las Vegas offense, I think I have to have him a little bit higher. Um, it seems like he's trending up, and I can't really pick up on a trend for Judy. That looks like something that I find encouraging. Yeah, I mean, Ruggs is flashing, and he's not even getting target volume yet. It, it's not as if it's going to be like this massive amplification where, he, you know, like he goes from 100 yards on three targets to where he has like nine targets, and it's like this guy just put up 250 yards. Like, it's not going to be like that. But if he gets more volume uh, and they continue to target him downfield and then he rounds out his game a little bit more, like he could actually sustain. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think I would still have to have Judy ahead of rugs right now. Um, just, you know, sticking with the priors a little bit. I don't want to be too swayed by what we've seen out of six weeks. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's much closer now. Uh, between those two than it was when the season started like that's for sure yeah you know the other thing is I don't know if I'm reading too much into this week five because you know it really was only two wrecks on three targets but it was a performance that to me is like a pretty big game and I do think that it's a good signal when you see these young receivers having these big games in their first season, you're not always going to see sustained production for many of them. But sometimes when you get some of these games where players hit and with a guy like Ruggs, he's matching what you would have anticipated in his profile. So I do think it's important, um, but it's probably really too early to rule on a player like him after just three games in this very small sample. So um, I don't know. Hopefully Judy can turn things around. Uh, but I, I think you're right about rugs, uh, you know, small sample, but he's looked really good so far. Yep. All right. Um, you know, I'm going to ask you one question now, Matt, unrelated to, um, anything fantasy. Well, it, I guess it's, it's in some way related to it. You have been doing a 30 minute, ask me anything. Um, are you doing this every single day on Twitter? Uh, I have, yeah, I've done it every day for over two months. I like it. Um, I enjoyed the fact that your wife jumped in and answered a question about cheese. <laughs> um, yes. uh, yeah, because I was uh, ill-equipped to answer the question, yes. which I totally admitted. Nice. Uh, what is the most ridiculous question that you have received since you started this endeavor? Uh, I I cannot remember, to be honest. Th there have been so many good questions that I haven't been able to answer, like questions that have nothing to do with fantasy that I've started uh like tagging those and yep. like putting them in a spreadsheet. Uh, and maybe I will somehow carve out the opportunity to answer them. Uh, and, and like, I wish I would have started doing that right away. Yeah. So I know that there were other good questions that I can't remember what they were. And I'm just not going to scroll through Twitter to uh, try to find them. But um, 
Anyway, I, I can't remember what the weirdest question is. Oh, you know what? But I just, I really don't even think that like questions like this are really all that weird, but yep. uh, maybe that says more about me. But uh, someone asked, I think a couple of days ago, uh, are you looking forward to losing your virginity? <laughs> um, and I think my response was, uh, I've just sort of given up hope at this point. Oh, wow. Um, Cause like, you know, like I, I just, I, I don't know exactly how to answer that. I don't know really the spirit in which that question was asked. Um, but uh, I, I can certainly try to be a little bit humorous while I answer it. And, you know, I mean, whatever, just, uh, you know, kind so of did, answer it uh, in a way that, you know, is fairly open. Right. Um, did you take a less obvious path than um, like not as much as your mom? Of course. Okay. I mean, I. Friedman in high school would have said something like that. I like to pretend that I've grown up since. Okay. Um, Okay. I, uh, and I'm not bringing this up as, as being upset that you didn't get to it, but I want to make sure that on the spreadsheet. So we hear about it from, from you at some point is what branch of philosophy do you most attach yourself with? Did you actually ask that question? I did. Yeah. Okay. I, I never, I never noticed that one. That's fine. Um, That's a good one. I will search for it. Uh, and that might require me actually to uh, learn something about philosophy. Okay. I would have thought a man as well-read as you would have Not had... Not well-read. That's, that's, the, that's the dirty secret. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, we've touched upon that, I think, as, as much as we need to. Um, was there anything uh, football-related that you wanted to mention before we close things down here? Uh, football-related, uh, No. It, it looks like the Cowboys are uh, getting killed on Monday yes, Night Football. Uh, not a surprise. Um, whatever. Life goes on. All right. Well, that does it for this episode. You can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Dave Cabin FF and at Matt F. The Oracle. Thanks to Indeed, Pepsi, and Bet Online for sponsoring the show. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Everybody, I pressed the wrong button, and that was the intro music, but we're just going to live with it. Hello. And that was another mistake. So let's get to the, uh, let's see, can I get the right thing here? The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sports book experts. And sadly, that is not the most disjointed outro to the show I think we've ever had.